Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me, as always, is the man who was once beat up by the entire cast of the Golden Girls, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? I am doing well. I am so excited. We're here for our second recording on video, making that leap from the audio-only podcast world here into video and hoping that people are digging what we're doing. I'm having some fun, right? How about you? Damn right, buddy. Full <laughs> HD. Let's do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we are here today to discuss one heck of a film. Uh, it's a classic in its own, right? It's a cult classic. And... Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at everything that that means. We're looking at Lone Wolf and Cub, the first of six entries in Sword of Vengeance. Ryan, I believe you have a description for our audience, yeah? I do. From 1972, this is Lone Wolf and Cub's Sword of Vengeance, directed by Kenji Masumi, based on a manga by Kazuo Koike. Criterion has this described as... The inaugural film in the Lone Wolf and Cub series immediately thrusts Ido Ogami into the ranks of the all-time great samurai movie icons. In this installment, the Shadow Yagyu clan plots to solidify its power by taking Ogami's coveted position of Shogun's executioner for its own. The legendary assassin escapes with his infant son, Daigoro, and swears vengeance. This was, uh, yeah, once again, based on a long-standing manga series that was very popular. Kind of yeah. explain some of the blood and guts that we see. Also might explain some <laughs> of the boobs that we see. We're going to get into all that, Jason. <laughs> but before we do, I have to ask you, as always, what did you think about this movie, buddy? Ryan, I will be happy to tell you first. I do want to go ahead and ask our audience, if you haven't yet, please go ahead and like and subscribe to this video and our channel. Really helps us out with the algorithms. And also, if you agree or disagree with any part of this review as we're going along, please go ahead and drop a comment in the section below. We would love to hear from you. And hey, maybe we'll even get back to you. Now, Ryan, I'm going to tell you that I really liked this movie quite a lot. I stopped short of loving it, but there is a lot to like. There's some weird stuff going on here that kind of prevents it from being a little bit better than it otherwise would be. I think some of that is like content based and certainly structurally there is got a very odd structure. We're going to go ahead and jump into that here in a little bit. But right. because of that, that structural messiness, let's go ahead and call it. It just kind of it was almost like incompetent in the way that it was put together. And yet. In spite of that, it absolutely works because of some strong direction, some strong performances, uh, some very creative death scenes like we've talked about. And uh, so all of that comes together to just make actually a really enjoyable film in spite of some very significant problems. So how about you, yeah. Ryan? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously this was meant to be, you know, one of six films. It feels very episodic. Sure. And, um, uh, you know, I am a fan of uh, the the series The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, the Star okay. Wars series. Um, I know you haven't really gotten into a lot of that, <laughs> um, but I have heard for a long time that that was very much based on this. And I 
can't disagree. Uh, there okay, are cool. so almost some. Uh, there are some scenes from Mando that are directly lifted from this film. Oh wow! Um, namely, when the kid is given a choice uh, between the sword and the toy, or whatever it was, if I recall uh, from the film, um, that uh, mm-hmm. is that same exact choice is given by Luke Skywalker to Baby Yoda, where he's oh, given wow. a lightsaber uh, or a little mesh piece of armor or something like that. Like basically, do you want to choose the path of violence? Or, or justice or what have you, or do you want to go be a kid? Um, and that yeah. that exact scene is lifted. Also, the music oh. um, from Haideke uh, Suzuki, I think his name was, um, that did all the score for this film, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, um, versus Ludwig Gorenson's score. Um, you know, it plays out almost like a spaghetti western, um, some of yeah, the uh, you know music notes and, and, and some of the tones and stuff. And the film itself, a lot of the vibes feel very much more... Uh, Sergio Leone. You could compare this to films that we've discussed on this uh, this very podcast, like uh, Harakiri, um, sure. that was you know a lot more artsy, um, or Thirty Six Chambers of Shaolin, um, which yeah, was a little definitely. more playful, a lot less violent, zero boobs. So <laughs> um, they kind of come right out with the boobs too. It's not uh, not <laughs> it's a little yeah. more awkward, and uh, you know violence around children, which we've discussed uh, elsewhere on this show as well, um, but. Overall, high level. I really enjoyed this. Um, It just made me want to watch the entire series, the six film series, and judge it as a whole. Because I feel like this almost played out like an hour long episode of television versus, you know, uh, a standalone film. You don't you're never really given a conclusion uh, to the ultimate narrative. Um, You know, it's a lot of setup. Uh, and then, it, you know, you go through this little mini side quest uh, adventure where he goes against this ragtag team of bandits at this day spa <laughs> of all things. Yeah. And then um, and then it just kind of puts a button on it there. It was, it's very much more to be continued. Um, yeah. Same bat time, same bat channel uh, kind of vibe. <laughs> so we button it up. So, yeah. And that could be very reflective of its manga roots as well. Right. You know, because those are very right. episodic in nature, the way, you know, comic books in general they're all distributed up until recently. They've always been historically distributed in these small little chunks. Right. So it kind of makes sense that we would get that as well. I think to a degree. Yeah, no, definitely. So, and and no complaints. I I really had a lot of fun. It's like an hour and 27 minutes or something like that. So it was very easily digestible. Um, you know, I loves me some good hours. I was going to say Ryan's favorite, everybody, man. Like Ryan loves movies as much as I do, but he loves nothing more than a short movie, man. If you can get in and out in like seven minutes, he is right there with you, you which is also funny that you love like Indian films as much as you do. Cause all of those are like three hours and 15 minutes long. And like, you're, there for it <laughs> yeah i mean look dude i don't mind a long movie as long as we're moving along and and uh you start to get into bollywood and tollywood films like the rajamuli stuff and um you know th- there is so much meat on the bone and we're gonna get to some yeah. of those films uh hopefully off the list as we move into season four here but totally. um yeah if if you're gonna give me some long-winded three-hour epic you know i needed to to scoot man i got a goldfish brain uh, i've polluted <laughs> myself on social media so you know I want these things to move along. And so when some of these three hour epics are so full of themselves or, or just want to, you know, let's just revel in this moment. You know, um, I I love a good, you know, two, three hour film if it's done by Scorsese or something like that. But, um, you know, some films don't need to be that long. And this film, you know, as long as you know what it is, uh, what, what you are as a film, as a script and, and it justifies itself. I'm totally cool with the long, long winded feature, but, um, that's not even to say that I need like a lot of action or anything. I just want it to feel like it deserves to be three hours and not just that sure. the director wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, let me start with what I think I enjoyed kind of the most about this film, and that's just really the overall aesthetic, right? And specifically what I'm talking about is like the high-low aesthetic, right? We've talked about this in other episodes. I'm a big fan of that, right, where we're taking this sort of what would be considered low, pulpy material, something to be sort of looked down upon by the literary crowd, right? But then what we're doing is we're elevating it to something that's approaching art, maybe, and we're doing that by presenting it in really wonderful cinematography, right, with some very competent direction. I think especially, like I said, the the aspect of the film that gives it that quality most to me is that cinematography. When you sure. look at any of the images, the famous saying, right, about how with great cinematography, like any shot could be like a still photo or picture, right? And it would work. And I think you could do that with this film. You see that all the time. And especially with the way that the photography is often captured by way of having like a subject in the background, maybe, or maybe they're in the foreground. But either way, there's tons of other objects and uh, aspects of the photography to look at. There's certain scenes where they're like walking through this sort of labyrinthine tree structure and you know they just sort of focus on the trees and we sort of see the characters obscured through them and it's almost as though like we're our vision is being obscured right we're having to sit there and look through the trees to see what the characters are doing and so I think that when you look at a lot of that presentation again this is the photography of not just some pulpy samurai film but again a, a very sort of artistic film and sure. I think that's also I don't know if you got the same vibe, but there were times where this kind of felt like a Tarantino movie. And that's kind of always what I felt about Tarantino. That's why he's one of my, if not my all time favorite filmmakers. He has that wonderful ability to take really pulpy material and elevate it to this uh, really high art sort of presentation. And uh, again, I saw that same DNA here in this film. Right. Yeah, I mean, it felt gritty. It felt, um, you know, again, comparing it to like 36 Chambers of Shaolin, which was very much more, to me, flat and soap opera-y and just straightforward yeah. uh, the way it was delivering the material. Um, this leaned more into that spaghetti Western vibe, like Leone or Peckinpah, and wasn't afraid to take some risks cinematography-wise. The snap zooms, the extreme close-ups, um, the low angles, you know, the, the extreme hero shots, uh, specifically with the, uh, the old man Shogunate guy, um, and the way that he's yeah. lit, uh, and stuff like that. So, um, and the action was great. Um, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, there was never a moment where I was bored or wanting more, even in the exposition parts, uh, you know, in the, in the center, because there's a lot of origin, uh, story here going on, uh, you know, as they're setting up a, a tale of six films. So, um, sure. But never once did I ever really feel like it stalled out or, or that I was checking my phone or anything like that. It was all very interesting. It was a little convoluted or a little um, confusing uh, right up the front I'll as far as the when the stories were jumping back and forth. Yeah. Um, I, I never could really tell. It took me a minute to tell. Looking back on it, it, it filled in all the gaps. Like I was able to, you know, just dilute all that, you know, by the end of the film. But um, it was a little confusing as far as, is this present day? Is this past day? Um, you know, the film opens with our, uh, executioner hero guy, um, you know, going to kill, a, a, a child, uh, going to execute. He's been ordered to execute this child. Who's like a Lord of this manner of sorts. Um, and I guess the kid wasn't getting in line with what the, 
Shogunate wanted, and so he was ordered to kill this kid. And, and so you're because I know this is a story of a, a, a man on the run with his child. I'm instantly thinking, is that his child? Or is this? Are they going to break away? Sure. This and that. And then we go back, and then he's pushing a cart with a younger child. And I'm like, okay, the, are we leading up to that moment? Is it going to you know resolve with a payoff from that moment where he? then turns and misses the kid and kills everyone else in the room. So I, I was all constantly trying to suss out when this was happening, but sure. as long as you can get over that, um, you know, uh, it just kind of, uh, it moved right along. And, and I, I do think that it resolved a lot of those issues by the end of the, the story. So you just kind of got to stick with it. It was a lot of fun. Um, it never, you know, uh, w- took itself so seriously, you, you know, by the end battle, he's, pulling swords out of a, a baby carriage and he had the whole thing booby trapped and stuff. So um, I think in a lot of ways too, you know, when you, when you bring up Tarantino um, you know, instantly when I think of kill bill um, that's what makes that film so enjoyable outside of the dialogue and stuff. It's just the whimsy that goes into a film like that and how much fun uh, it, it can be. It never takes itself so seriously. It's never so stoic. Um, they're, you know, cutting heads off and water waterfalls, you know, are spurting out of necks and stuff. It's bananas. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that that kind of lends itself to being playful and, and fun amidst all the hyper violence and stuff uh, along the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you kind of mentioned it about the fact that it was hard to kind of follow the sequence of events. Right. And, right. and I, I agree. I had the same issue with that. And that's part of that structural issue that I was talking about at the top of the show. OK. Where, yeah, you know, I almost wish that it had like the like Wayne's World Scooby-Doo, like diddly you diddly you diddly you to like <laughs> let us know that it was like a flashback. Right. Right. Because it was it took me a long time to realize that certain scenes were actually happening in past in terms of the chronology of the story, because sure. it doesn't give you anything to really let you know that. And, you know, at first you're still trying to figure out exactly what the film is and it does it so quickly. You know, I think that if it had maybe taken a little bit more time to establish that up front or establish itself in the main story and and then start cutting back to some of these things. Uh, But again, you know, there's certain things that the director could have done to really just make sure that we understood exactly what was going on. Right. Like sometimes a director will throw a different filter on there, give it a little bit of a different look. I, I don't even know that anybody was wearing a different wardrobe. I think they like no. maybe didn't have any extra money for costumes. So it's like, ah, I just wear the same thing. Yeah, you've been wearing that for a long time. Sure, whatever. We'll figure it out. It's like, well, right. no, you got to give us a little bit more than like that to be able to follow along. But as you say, so by the end, you do kind of resolve what's going on. But admittedly, it was a little confusing getting there. And I also had sort of an issue with the way that the film established its pace and its tone. So basically for sort of like 45, 50 minutes, we're getting this very progressive story where we're moving along down this road and we're getting these flashbacks to scenes. And there's a lot of actions that are sort of moving the story forward. Also a lot of questionable nudity. We'll touch on that in a second, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, and then, and then once they get to the hot springs, the film just immediately slows down. And for like 30 minutes, like, Pretty much nothing happens with the exception of like a sort of a public sex act that Ogami has to do with the woman. And so like that's kind of a weird thing. But other than that, everyone's just kind of talking about what might happen. And oh, who are you? I kind of recognize you. But oh, either way, go get into jail. And then, you know, the, the prostitute character is sort of like propping him up. And then they have like a. 
a seven minute scene in a hot springs where they're just kind of talking about what things were going on before. And then all of a sudden we get the final seven minutes where it's just sort of like the, you know, balls to the wall action scenes. So the way that it's sort of like ramped up and then super slowed down and then kicked it in for the end, you know, I would, I think they could have really worked on balancing out those first and second acts a little bit better for us because right. the, like I said, it was, there was like so much not happening for a while that even though it was like, less than 90 minutes at that point i was like feeling like we were dragging a little bit and if your movie's 90 minutes i don't feel like it needs to drag you know he's side questing yeah like the whole <laughs> first act of the film is your origin story that sets up who ogami is and, and why he's on the run and all of that and then you know uh, and then he gets sent to go prevent this murder by these rebels that are now paid uh to go kill this you know high official or something like that to go yeah. prove his his worth and and try to clear his name so um in that whole second act it just kind of resets up another first act, if you will, um, sure. that's establishing this side quest that he's on. Um, I dare say that... Uh, now, you've seen the other films, right? Because I would hope that by the second film, you don't get a lot of the origin story stuff as much that's already been established, and you can kind of get right into uh, his next mission of sorts. Is that correct? Do the other films have pacing like that, or have you even seen them? So I've seen the first three films, including this okay. one. So the second one is my favorite. And yeah, I do feel like it's like the second one's where it's like, okay, we've got all that out of the way. Let's just go ahead and get into some more of that fun. And go. You know, right. three times as many blood geysers, which like is part of the reason oh, I'm sweet. here. Absolutely. So yeah, let's do business. The, the third <laughs> one kind of slowed down again a little bit. And I don't really like recall it that well. I just remember feeling like my personal sort of ranking of the first three was like two, one, three is what okay. I remember. So and then, yeah, I haven't seen four or five or six, but they are they are all on max right now. So probably get a chance to go back and check those out, especially if each of them is just going to be like 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really easy watch. So yeah. can't can't say that enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's talk about something that like wasn't necessarily easy. And again, that's the movie's approach to nudity. And there's a lot of sort of like sexual assaults or like almost seemingly like excuses to like bring out titties, right? Like it was just kind of weird. The seventies were wild, it, man. <laughs> like in, in, right. in the opening scene, there's like the girl who thinks that like the baby is hers. And so they're going to rent the baby out. And she just like, yeah, whips out a breast and starts trying to feed him. And like, we see that and it's like, oh, okay, you know, fine, whatever. And then, you know, we see totally later. unexplained. This is the first <laughs> scene after the title cards. And then so he's pushing a baby carriage down the street and this woman comes up to him hysterical and thinks it's this kid in the. And so we don't know, like as the viewer, I don't know. Is this really her baby or what's going on with this woman? It's yeah. never really explained. Um, and then she just he's like, no, no, it's OK. You know, this other woman comes to try to console her. I'm sorry, sir. My bad. Chick thinks it's, you know, everyone's her kid. She's missing her kid. And then he's like, no, no, it's fine. You know, we, we rent this out. We do this. It's a whole, you know, song and dance we do. And then she, and then she just pulls a titty out to go like nurse this child. And it graphically kind of shows that. And so I'm thinking like, you know, where is, uh, where are the child guardianship on, on set for this kid? <laughs> like, I guess they had no rules back then when they're filming at Toho Studios. So. Yeah, no, this is anyway. a, this is sweet, sweet back time where you could just have your kid do porn scenes, I guess. I guess. Yeah. The, the days of sweet, sweet backs, badass song as we've discussed on this film ad nauseum or on the show ad nauseum. Yeah. So, so, and then, yeah, we, you know, we also that get was a little scene, tough. Like, yeah. Later, you know, where there's the scene where uh, I've mentioned it earlier, where he's like, has to have sex with the prostitute so that he doesn't get assaulted by like the main bad guy. Like that's kind of weird. And so, uh, yeah, again, it's just like, there's these, 
there, there's a lot of like nudity in the film, but it's almost like it's never in like any sort of like loving way or anything. It's always just some sort of like very weird, exploitative. Yeah, a little bit exploitative. But you also wonder if that's, you know, something at the time, like a like a Russ Meyer thing where it's like, ah, you know, uh, we don't always have the best scripts. So uh, every now and then we throw out some titties and then everyone's got to get some butts in seats. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I have no idea. I, I didn't see how this film was distributed, but um, it did, and I it get that. But from a narrative standpoint, just looking at the film, pro- like if you want to show some exploitative titties and, and uh, dude, I'm all about that. Like that's, you're not going to offend me on that side. <laughs> yeah, of yeah, no, for sure. It's just the context. But like, don't show but chicks in, being in, sexually assaulted in those moments. Yeah. Like the woman is, uh, uh, a, a prostitute or a sex worker of sorts. Um, this happens late into act two, um, early into act three. And, you know, we're led to believe that Ogami, our, our executioner uh, protagonist, um, is in total control. And it kind of confirms that by the end of the film that he could have yeah. whooped ass at any given moment. He is way more capable violently than this ragtag group of bandits ever were. And so... He is threatened, um, you know, by death unless he, you know, because these bandits are fucking with him and they're like, oh, make him do the thing with the woman, blah, blah, blah. And so because they're, you know, she's standing up to them. And so, um, yeah, they for they forced the two of them to have sex in front of them for their own, you know, jollies and, and shits and gigs. And um, for the jollies. And he goes through with it. He's like, I got you. I'll do this. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll save you this way. Um, but then we come to find out that he was totally capable of saving her, you know, with action and violence and uh, and wiping all these dudes out at any given moment, really. Now, he didn't have his weapons on him at the time, so there is that part of it. Yeah. But um, I don't know that that would have even mattered under the context no. of how they've solidified this um, this protagonist and how capable he is. So sure. with that said, um, you know, she doesn't protest, so it's not really rape. She is, and in fact, even after the fact, um, you have all the other people at the day spa that are being held ca- captive there. By the way, I'm going to keep calling it a day spa because I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's hot springs, but, but same thing. Right. Yeah. They're, they're all like, uh, you know, uh, can't believe you did that or whatever. And she stands up for it. She's like, no, no, I wanted it. And quite frankly, uh, you know, he's, he's no slouch in the sheets. I, I totally, uh, you know, got mine uh, in the midst of all of that. And could any of you do that and perform that well under, uh, the threat of death. And so, you know, it was kind of like, again, it felt very like black exploitation esque where, you know, the hero, a very shaft or, or even black dynamite yeah. or something where it's like, you know, bow, check a bow, you know? And, and so even <laughs> in those, uh, threatening moments, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll kill these dudes and I'll please the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always so there was time a little for bit a little love. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise they were going to get beheaded. So I was like, Oh, talk about giving some head or giving some head. One of the two. (laughs) 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 All right, folks. And we're out. No, just kidding. Um, Yeah. Now, (laughs) absolutely. Now, another aspect of the production that I think sells the film is the acting. I think the acting all across the board, really solid from our protagonist, Agame Ito or Ito Agame. I forget which direction that goes played by, Tomisaburu Wakayama, and then we've also got uh, the prostitute character Osen, who's Tomoko Mayama, I believe, and then we've also got uh, the little cute Daigoro, and he's played by, I believe it's pronounced Akihiro 
Tomikawa. So sorry if I butchered those pronunciations. Just we say try. it fast. We, say we, it we fast, we and it sounds like you're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, we're trying to get better at on. that. But yeah, when uh, you're two white dudes that do a lot of foreign films, uh, you just gotta know that you're butchering the language. We're trying over here. We do but our yeah, best. Yeah, no. <laughs> I do think that all of those people did wonderful jobs, right? Uh, they just even a yes. little kid, you know, all he had to do was really look cute. And he did a bang up job of looking cute. Nailed Adorable it. little kid. You, wanna, <laughs> you know, you want to nobody phoned it in for this. Yeah. You want uh, Ogami to be protective of this kid. And you want to see him survive and all of that. So and even the sort of ancillary and supporting characters, right? The bad guys looked appropriately intense. Sure. And, you know, they were. Uh, the gang members were all, you know, appropriately crazy when they were supposed to be. And so. But kind of comically like, villainous, too, you know, yeah, kind of like mustache yeah. twirling, you know, it didn't, little, take, <laughs> it didn't take itself <laughs> so. too seriously. And it kind of lets you know that, you know, and yeah, broad characterizations for everything. Right. Like super. But nobody phoned villains. it in to your point. Yeah. No, definitely. Everybody showed up to play. Absolutely. So and it's worth noting this was done by, you know, uh, notably one of the largest uh, film production studios over there. Toho that gave us everything from Godzilla uh, to the Kurosawa films. Um, so. Yeah, I mean they've they've been responsible for a lot of very large budget or or uh, large you know productions. So um, yeah, I think that they took it seriously and and everybody you know did their jobs very well uh, from the cinematography to the score, like I said. Um, but they also leaned into a little bit of that uh, spaghetti western exploitation vibe. So it just kind of nestled in really yeah. sweetly, uh, where it brought a lot of charm and fun. Um, but never so much so that it felt, you know, low budget or cheesy, you know, definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, I do also want to touch on just, again, the creative nature of the violence, right? Like we've talked about that with our evil dead rise review, other reviews from the podcast, how we really enjoy when filmmakers get creative with their death scenes and give us something to look forward to that we haven't necessarily seen a uh, hundred thousand times right so we do sort of get your standard sort of you know hack and slash across the chest and arms getting hacked off and all that stuff but we've also got you know people getting impaled uh, we've got one of my favorite deaths which is like the one where towards the end Ito slices the guy at like the ankles and you just see like the two <laughs> feet like at the ankles sitting there like spouting geysers of blood while like the rest yes. of the torso flies off behind right and right. then there's a there's also the one that I like to call the uh, super jump hack and slash spectacular where he jumps over the cart and comes smashing down with the katana uh, like right on the dude's <laughs> head and it lodges itself in there and there's another fountain. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, blood geysers, you know, anytime a, a head is cut off, you get this cool blood geyser where it's just a fountain of blood coming out of the neck. And again, like you either get why that's cool or you don't. I'm sorry. Right. And where are the type of people that enjoy that sort of thing? So if you are as well, I think you'd really enjoy this movie. But, you know, I, I do feel that especially for Western audiences, they were probably pushing some boundaries there for 1972. Um, uh, again, I remember, you know, uh, reading a lot about the spaghetti Westerns, uh, and Peckinpah with like movies like the wild bunch in the late sixties, you know, um, being the first time that you really saw like squibs and real blood, um, you know, versus the old Western style where, you know, when someone would shoot, then you would turn around and someone would hold their chest. Oh, you got me. Uh, (laughs) and then fall to the ground. Um, but to go from, you know, basic squib use, uh, and, and that being kind of pushing boundaries to just full on blood fountains coming off of lost limbs 
in in katana through the head and stuff like that. Like it was pretty. I could only imagine that that had to have been pretty hyper violent for its day. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, the, but the way they were handling it again uh, injected so much fun and whimsy into it. Um, that to your point, it did feel very, you know, Tarantino-esque or spaghetti western-esque. It wasn't, um, uh, you know, like gore porn or anything like that. It was yeah. just fun to watch. And the blood was like a, that, that bright red color, you know, you can't really take it seriously. <laughs> the seventies blood, it was just like straight red paint or something. It had like no viscosity to it whatsoever. Right. So like it wasn't until they would discover like caro syrup or like corn syrup in like the eighties, I guess. And you know, one of the things too is like, that could have been a result of perhaps some restrictions at the time. Right. Like, when they sure. were just starting to do that, the, you know, the censors are like, hey, guys, you know, let's let's make it a little bit less realistic if we're going to go down this road, and, <laughs> you know, right. ease people into this sort of gore that we're going to start seeing on on film very regularly now. Right. Yeah, because even a few years after this, I remember seeing um, the Outlaw Josie Wales that I talked about on one of our mini reviews here oh, right, yeah. uh, on this show earlier. And uh, Outlaw Josie Wales used that same uh, very bright red color uh, when people would get shot. So, you know, you never really felt too threatened by it it just kind of it made it it took the took the bite out of it a little bit yeah definitely well ryan i think we can go ahead and wrap up this review and as we do at the end of every episode gonna go ahead and finish this off with three adjectives since we're a little bit newer ryan go ahead and describe to people what three adjectives is all about well it's just a way that if i was talking to you about this and we weren't rolling how would i get you to watch it if i was going to give you three little terms or phrases or words to help describe this movie uh, what would those be? And mine, uh, if I'm going to go ahead and start, are smooth because it was nice and easy to watch. It mm-hmm. moved right along. The pacing was good. It did stall a little, uh, stall out a little bit at the hot springs, but it didn't bother me. Things were happening, um, and it's an hour and 27 minutes. So, uh, yeah, uh, moving right along, that's smooth. The next one is balanced because I felt like, you know, for tackling so much in an hour and 27 minutes, um, I felt like everything kind of was equally balanced uh, between the origin story. Uh, the little side mission, the resolve and everything, all the action uh, versus the drama um, versus a film like 36 Chambers, where we discussed on this show that uh, that was so much of an origin story. And then the resolve was kind of tacked on at the end where they had to come up with this little Ocean's Eleven kind of plan or whatever. So that yeah. was like a really rushed third <laughs> act. But so much of that film was just about him learning Kung Fu and going through all the chambers. This was a little bit of everything and it was equally portioned out. Uh, and my last one is addicting because all this made me want to do is go watch the next five films in the saga nice. and see how it all shakes <laughs> out. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. How about you, Jason? Awesome. So uh, mine are a little bit more verbose today, but it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. For my first one, uh, we have high low juxtaposition. Once again, just oh. that aesthetic that we identified at the beginning that I just can't get enough of when it's done correctly. We've got visually artistic camera work. And then also, just quite very simply, blood geysers. That's all you need. Blood geysers. <laughs> if someone's like, hey, Easy to what's the selling point of this film? You'd be like, blood geysers. Be like, oh, shit, I'm down. Let's go. Freaking sold. <laughs> yeah, let's get so, it on. Yeah, so all of that, uh, we're going to go ahead and give you our star rating here. But first, real quick, do just want to remind you, if you haven't yet, please like and subscribe to our episodes and the channel. Really helps us out with that algorithm, and we appreciate it. Also, if you liked or hated this episode or differ from our opinions, go ahead and let us know in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Ryan, for a star rating on this film, I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five. Solid four out of five stars. Really enjoyed the movie. Some of those things that we identified did kind of take me out of it a little bit, but not enough to lessen the overall experience. Four out of five stars for Jason. What do you got, Ryan? 
Same. I'm giving this one four out of five stars. I think nice. this is a solid film. I would recommend this to most people. Um, as long as, you know, violence and titties don't bother you, sign on. <laughs> it's an easy watch. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. For everybody watching, you can look for us on YouTube for more video reviews, and you can also head to your favorite streaming platform to listen to our audio podcast, as well as you can go to our website, esotericacinema.com. Got a bunch of web players and fun stuff for you to check out there. Thank you so much for listening and watching to this episode of Esoterica Cinema. This is Jason Peters and Ryan Siebold reminding you to enjoy the movies.